the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. If the church is to be the church like Jesus set it up, it's a church that's passionate about building his kingdom together. They're not passionate about building our kingdoms. We have to do it together. We can't be alone. The one thing we fight for in church is that we want to fight to be better together. Welcome to The Barnabas Effect with Paul Purvis, Senior Pastor of Mission Hill Church, a multicultural, multi-generational, multiplying church focused on shining the light and love of Jesus like a city on a hill. You're invited to visit any of the three locations in Temple Terrace and Tampa. For information and locations, visit missionhill.org. That's missionhill.org. Now, with today's message, here's Pastor Paul Purvis. They were devoting themselves to prayer. Prayer is a marker for the church. Shouldn't be a surprise. Jesus had said when casting out all the marketeers from the temple, no, 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 no. This is not what my house is to be about. My house is to be called a house of prayer. Don't answer this question. But do you think that for most in the world today, they look at the church And they see a group of people who are marked by prayer. I think maybe that this might be one of the reasons we don't seem to have the power in the church that that we could have. That we seem to be sick, anemic. Because we're not praying. I'm not pouting, but I'm just telling you, the lowest attended service we have in our church is prayer service. The hardest thing we get people to do is, is to pray and we have three services on, on this campus um, every week. And, and we want to have people praying in another place on our campus during the service. During one of those three services. And you know we have a hard time filling those spots. John Wesley said, nothing happens in the kingdom of God unless it's preceded in prayer. J. Edwin Ord said, every revival began in a prayer meeting. Have you heard the name Warren Wiersbe? Warren Wiersbe is a Bible scholar, a commentator. He died this week. Probably few people that I did not know personally have influenced my life like Warren Wiersbe. Listen to what he says. Prayer is both the thermostat and the thermometer for the local church. The spiritual temperature of the church goes up and down based on the prayer of the people. Charles Haddon Spurgeon pastored the great Metropolitan Tabernacle in London, and one day he was showing some visitors his church. And you can still see the Metropolitan Tabernacle today. And you see it's, it's quite a building. And so they visited the auditorium, and they were very impressed. And he said, now do you want to heat, see the heating element, the heating element of our church? And I think they were perplexed, but they said, sure. They thought he was going to take them to some dirty, dingy, dusty room in the basement where the furnace was housed. But instead, as they went downstairs, they saw 400 people kneeling on their faces. 
the story of the Metropolitan Tabernacle in that great move of God in England for those many years was that during every service of worship, dozens of people prayed for God to work in a mighty way. Our prayer is always tied. Our power is always tied to our prayers. See, prayer moves the hand of God. And it's the hand of God that moves the world. Are you a prayer? Our prayers should be like the early church. They should be unending. They were continually devoted, it says. It's a word which means they, they persisted. They persevered in prayer. I've got another confession to make. Not only do sometimes I not like people, it is very hard for me to pray. Can anybody else relate to that? I get distracted. I can even kneel in my home and, and start praying, and next thing I know, I'm like thinking about a grocery list. I mean, I don't know, whatever. It makes sense. The enemy doesn't want us to pray. They persisted in prayer. It reminds me of Paul's letter to the church at Thessalonica where he said, pray without ceasing. That's a command for a follower of Christ. But it's not a religious ritual prayer. It's not what you see the Orthodox Jews doing, I I don't think. In in Jerusalem, they're at the welling wall where they're just twirling their hair and praying. Or they're, they're touching beads and praying. No, I don't think that's what it is. I think he's saying, just don't hang up. Live your life in such a way where you have this attitude of prayer. My sweet little parents are aging a little bit and things are getting more challenging. And they both have smartphones. And that's challenging. And, and very frightening, frankly. Sometimes when I see them, they're just poking on those phones like hard. I'm, they, they can't get it to do what they want it to do. Um, things are changing. Sometimes I'll be talking to them on the phone and they can't figure out how to hang up after we've said Goodbye. So sometimes I just put it on speakerphone after we've said goodbye and just listen to their conversations just for entertainment. <laughs> God's word teaches us that when we pray, we don't hang up. We just stay at it. We live our life in such a way that we really could begin every prayer conversation with a little conjunction and how to get in the habit of that. You can't do that if you're not consciously thinking about it because you will have sinned so much you will have to begin with, please forgive me. Because if we don't confess, our prayer loses its power. If we stay confessed and we keep the line open, then we can just say, "In God, how about this thing? Can you give me wisdom? Can you give me strength in this? Their prayers were unending. Our prayers should be unending, but our prayers should also be undivided. We should be able to come together and pray. It, it literally means that they were of the same mind. And again, we just see the importance of being together. Dr. Luke uses this ten times throughout the book of Acts. All these different people, all their different thoughts, their walks of life, their baggage, their disappointments in how they had related to Jesus. But they were of one mind because they wanted what only God could give. church what would happen if we were just willing to live our lives that way if we came together saying God we want what only you could give 
This week our nation celebrated the National Day of Prayer. Dr. Ronnie Floyd was the president of the National Day of Prayer. He has said that no great movement of God ever occurs that's not preceded by unified, extraordinary prayers of God's people. Others have said, when we humbly come before God with visible union and extraordinary prayer, God moves in mighty ways. Do you believe that? Good, let me give you an invitation. This week we have one of our last houses of prayer for this school year. During the school year we meet in this room on Wednesday evenings. We sing praise to God. We worship and we pray. We pray for the needs that you record on Sundays. We pray for other things that are taking place in our nation and our world. We ask God's spirit to move that time. We celebrate communion every Wednesday night. It's my favorite service of the week. No offense to you. I hope you come. See what happens when God's people come together and pray. Let me just give you a practical question related to this. Will you commit to praying over the next several weeks that God would rock our church and rock our community and rock our world for his glory? Would you just ask God to give you a new passion for prayer and a fresh awareness of what can happen through prayer? So they obeyed Jesus and they stepped out obediently together. They obeyed Jesus and they prayed together fervently. But let's look further. Look at verse 15. In those days, Peter stood up among the brothers. The company of persons was in about 120 and said, Brothers, the scriptures had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. He was numbered among us and was allotted his share in this ministry. Now this man acquired a field with the reward of his wickedness and falling headlong, he burst open in the middle of all his Bibles gushed out and it became known to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem. So the field was called in their own language, al that is the field of blood. For it's written in the book of Psalms, may his camp become desolate and let there be no one to dwell in it. And then he said, so we have to find someone else to take his office. Let me make an observation. If you look throughout history, the people that have impacted society for God's good have always been founded on the Word of God. The churches that have made a lasting impact for God's good have always had a high view of the authority of Scripture, God's Word. And that shouldn't be surprised. Because the Bible says that God's word is a light unto our feet and a lamp unto our path. That's why we see this third thing. The church that obeys Jesus searches God's word together diligently. So Peter and the people who were gathered had been praying. And then he stands up and he says this. Brothers, remember what the scriptures say? Why was he able to say, remember what the scriptures say? He valued the study of God's word. And the next words that he's going to say, he quotes from the scriptures. It appears that he's understood what Jesus talked about in Luke 24, 25. He opened their minds to understand the scriptures. Sometimes I hear people say, I I try to read the Bible and it doesn't make sense. Let me just tell you, if you are walking with Jesus according to scripture, you have the ability just to pray to him and say, God, open my mind to understand the scriptures. 
Because they still have to be fulfilled. They still need to be the absolute focus of our life. It's not polls or pundits or popular people. It's not the president. But it's the power of God's word that gives us the ability to discern his will and to go forward in faith. These difficult, divided days, we need the discernment from God's word like never before. Hi, I'm Paul Purvis, the lead pastor of Mission Hill Church right here in Tampa Bay. Thanks for taking the time to listen to today's The Barnabas Effect. It's a ministry intended to encourage, equip, and empower you. You may not know this, but this ministry is made possible because of the generosity of listeners like you. We are able to be on the air because listeners like you are gracious and give to this ministry. Would you consider making a gift today? It would be our honor to send you a gift, a resource, as a result of your gift of any size. And you can make that gift by going to missionhill.org and clicking on the banner that says The Barnabas Effect. That will direct you to a simple way that you can give right there online. Thanks again for listening to The Barnabas Effect today. And now we continue with our message. It's hard to imagine professing to follow Christ without regularly spending time in His Word. That's why the psalmist says in 119, I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Or that's why Paul said to Timothy, study to show yourself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. And Peter had done that. So he quotes from Psalm 69 and he quotes from Psalms 119. And he's talking about Judas. So I want to apply this principle for a second. We're reading the scriptures. What can we learn from this? Well, who's he talking about? I just told you. He's talking about Judas. He's talking about Judas. What can we learn from the life of Judas? Well, first of all, imagine what Peter was thinking. What you're imagining probably says something about you. Some of you are imagining, how could he? can't believe he did that. Sorry, scum. Got what he deserved. I don't think that's what Peter was imagining. I think Peter was thinking, man, that could have been me. I was so close. I blew it. But see, Peter repented. He got forgiveness and restoration. See, every time we hear or see of the fall of someone who professes Christ, every time a brother or sister in Christ disappoints us, our first response should not be, I can't believe they did that. Our first response should be, but by God's grace, there go I. I hope you've come to that place in your Christian life. It took me into my 20s to get there, to be honest with you, to understand that given the right situation and the circumstance, given the right frustrations and disappointment or depression and discouragement, I was capable of anything and everything. Judas was a friend of Jesus. He was treasurer of the group. He had spent three years with the disciples. He had ministered to the poor. He had preached the gospel. He had healed the sick. He had cast out demons. He had seen countless miracles of Jesus and listened to how many messages, who knows. He had broken bread at his table, but in the moment of decision, Judas failed. Maybe the best case of missed opportunity in all of Scripture. Max Lucado describes that. Listen to his words. Almost. 
It's a word that smacks of missed opportunity, aborted efforts, and fumbled chances. It's honorable mention, right field, on the bench, runner-up, burnt cookies. It's the one that got away, the cell that nearly closed, the gamble that almost paid off, almost. We speak of people who almost finished the marathon, almost made the big leads, almost passed the test, almost sank the three-pointer. As long as there's been worthy goals in life and people pursuing them, there have been almosts. But almost only counts in horseshoes and hand grenades. And most everything else almost might as well be not at all. And one of the most famous almost in the Bible is Judas, the acquaintance of Christ, the follower of Jesus, the betrayer of Christ, chosen by our Lord as one of the original twelve. He walked the dusty road and Jesus sighed for three years. He endured the hardship, accepted the persecution, seemingly embraced the teaching. He was destined to take his place in history as of the inner circle who let, helped launch God's movement of redemption for all eternity. But he didn't make it. Almost home. He bailed. Almost a hero. He betrayed. Almost redeemed. He rejected. And yet Peter is saying he was one of us. See, when I look at Scripture, one of the things I should do is examine myself. That's what it says in 2 Corinthians 13, 5. Examine yourself to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourself. Hold up the mirror of God's Word. James 1, 23 says God's Word is a mirror. I should be able to look into the mirror of God's Word and see, am I living consistently with this. Judas is that example that Jesus is talking about in Matthew 7 when he says, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, they won't be a part of my kingdom. You see, he, he was teaching us that it's possible to do good things and go through the motions and not really understand what it means to follow Christ. And I know that because I've studied scriptures. What do you see when you hold up the mirror of God's word? By the way, if you need a little help in this, did you know every week we have groups that we call community groups? For every age and every walk of life, it gives you an opportunity to get involved in a smaller group setting and talk about the things of God's word. I hope you'll commit to getting in God's word. Let me just give you this last thing. Look at verse 21. So one of the men who have accompanied us during the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John until the day when he was taken from us, one of these men must become with us a witness to his resurrection. He was saying, we've got to replace Judas. We've reflected on him, now we've got to replace him. And let's do it from one of the people that have been with us. So they put forward two names, Joseph called Barsabbas, who was also called Justice, and Matthias. And they prayed and said, you, Lord, who know the hearts of all, show us which one of these two you have chosen to take the place in this ministry and apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place. And they cast lots for them, and the lot fell on Matthias, and he was numbered with the 11 apostles. So as Acts chapter 1 ends, just before Pentecost, we see this final act of obedience of the church. The church that obeys Jesus seeks God's will together earnestly. Are you seeking God's will in your life? Do you seek God's will for our church? We see something important in understanding the seeking of God's will. 
Peter, in his prayer, says, God, we know that you already know the one you've chosen. What is he speaking to? Speaking to the sovereignty of God. Nothing touches our life that hasn't first filtered through the hands of God. He's not caught off guard. He's not surprised. So when we seek his will, we're not asking him on the spur of the moment to come up with a solution to get us out of a situation. We're saying, God, align my heart and my mind with your will. That's what we want. There's a lot of ways we do that today. Let me just remind you, not the purpose of this message, but we pray. We study God's word. As we get on the pages of scripture, God reveals his will. We seek wise biblical counsel. We listen to godly teaching. Often people will tell me, Pastor, I don't know how you know what I was going through. And I'm thinking, I don't. But God reveals his will to us sometimes through biblical teaching. And then we walk through life. But in this case, they did it differently. How did they do it? It's something called casting lots. And I watched. I see, I get to see everybody. And when I read that about casting lots, a couple of these men out here went, yes. Because you're thinking, now I can go buy my lotto ticket. I can go have lunch at the Hard Rock Casino. Gambling, is, a, is that what this is about? Is this about gambling? No. In fact, this casting of lots is seen all throughout the Old Testament. In fact, in Proverbs chapter 16, verse 33, it says, The lot is cast into the lap, but every decision is from the Lord. Again, acknowledging the sovereignty of God. What is the casting of lots? It was a way in the Old Testament that God would use to reveal his will. So you might put two stones in a jar-like thing, shake it up. It makes me think of Yahtzee, if you ever played Yahtzee. But you shake it up. One of the stones will come out and reveal what God's will was. That was a way that God revealed what he would do. But you know what's interesting? This is the last mention of that in Scripture. Why do you think that is? Because we have the Holy Spirit. The next words we're going to read in chapter 2 talk about Pentecost, the Holy Spirit of God falling down. We believe the Holy Spirit indwells every believer. That means you have God's guide. You don't need to gamble. You don't need to cast lots. You just need to do what it says in James chapter 1 verse 5. If anyone lacks wisdom, let him just ask me and I give it to him generously. Well, I love this passage of Scripture because we begin to see what it looks like when we obey Jesus. So let's just microscopically, let's put that into our own lives, even though we've been talking about the church. If I'm obeying Jesus, I'm stepping out in faith and obedience. What do you need to do in obedience today? If I'm obeying Jesus, I'm a prayer warrior. I'm praying earnestly. If I'm obeying Jesus, I'm searching the Scriptures. If I'm obeying Jesus... I'm trying to discern God's will for my life. Oh, I hope you're walking in obedience. Let me just end with this question. Why? I mean, this is a pretty important part of the church history. Why did they have to replace Judas? Why did they need a 12th man? Interesting fact. You don't ever hear about Matthias again in Scripture. I think God's wanting to remind us that he needs every one of us. 
in his church. He wants all of us to be a part of his body. Every member that is his bride is important. Every son or daughter in his family can make a difference. See, I believe you are that 12th man. You're that 12th woman. You're the one that God wants to use to help accomplish his mission in this world. And no one may ever know your name on this side of heaven. And you may not be known for great feats of faith. But as you surrender and live in obedience to Christ, you begin to get it. And when we all get it together, big things happen. Just wait and see. You've been listening to The Barnabas Effect with Pastor Paul Purvis. The Barnabas Effect is here to provide listeners like you with biblical truth and spiritual encouragement. But it can't be done without your financial support. Go to missionhill.org and click on the Give tab. Your financial support helps us reach those seeking truth about God and themselves. Thank you for giving at missionhill.org. And join us weekdays at 9 a.m. for The Barnabas Effect with Pastor Paul Purvis on Faith Talk AM 570 and 910.